This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash startalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. Welcome to Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, astrophysicist and director of New York City's Hayden Planetarium. Today, we bring you our third annual Time Capsule Show, which is a look back at some of the greatest hits of the past year on Star Talk Radio. For example, I'll share with you some highlights from my interview with John Hodgman and some key moments with a friend of the show, Phil Plate, otherwise known as the Bad Astronomer, and some celebrity moments with Moby, Whoopi Goldberg, and even Morgan Freeman. Let's start with a man most of you know from the Apple versus PC commercials, John Hodgman. Of course, he's PC. <laughs> Let's check it out. John, I have to confess, being a Mac user since 1985, when I see you, it's like, eek, eek, eek. PC, PC. What the radio audience cannot see at the moment is that Neil is actually stabbing me at this moment. He's not just making the psycho noise. He's stabbing me with a knife. Stabbing Please with send help. So I have you beat. I've been a Mac user since 1984. Is that right? You can't be a Mac user earlier than that. I had a 128K is Mac that, right? that I convinced my father to buy for me. Well, you made an awesome PC dude on the TV commercial. Thank you very much. Well, the reality is I was an avid Mac enthusiast. Indeed, I would literally get into bar fights, not fist fights, but <laughs> fights with words while drunk <laughs> right. in bars. 1994, 1995, when I first moved to New York, my friends and I would go see a good friend of mine, Jonathan Colton, perform songs at McGovern's on I Spring know Jonathan Street. Colton. He wrote a song about Pluto's moon, yes, Sharon. Yes, yes, oh, A beautiful song. It's a, a, it's a love song. Pluto's moon, Sharon, was upset that... Right. Pluto was demoted, but said, but right. I'm still your moon. Yes, but Sharon has left Pluto now. <laughs> well, that's the follow-on song. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know moons. Okay, so you so you know Jonathan Colton's music. And so yeah, then what he, and I, he and I went to Yale University together, you see, and we were very good friends. Mm -hmm. Friends of mine, including him, would get into long, drunken arguments about Mac versus PC. <laughs> and they're the same arguments that you make today. And I always took the Mac side. My feeling was that technology should conform to us rather than us conform to technology. Uh, that is so correct. And so I went on like that. And then I worked in an office environment and I had to learn to use another platform. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then I ended up buying one of these things. I had had a Mac 128K then I had a Mac SE. Then I had a PowerBook 145B. You never had the Mac Plus then. I made the quantum leap from the 128K to the 
to the ESE, which had a hard drive, well, which was very exciting. Internal hard drive. I remember it because I was like, what is a hard drive? What's going on? You mean I don't have to put in a floppy disk? That's half the fun. So that leads me to the next then I had to buy. Then I had to buy a PC. I'm sorry about your next question, but I need to finish this. <laughs> we need to get through this together. I had to buy a PC, I thought, in order to do my work from home for my office job as a literary agent. So I struggled mightily with that platform for a long time. I was all for it. But then I learned all of the problems. Like I'd sort of thought I had matured and come around and said, you know what? You can use this other thing. No. <laughs> By 2003 or early 2004, I realized, no, thank you. So you had It was a, Colton who made me go back, actually. He bought one and said, you should try this again. You had it deep within you on how to behave like PC in yeah, the commercial. No, I had every gag that they came up with or that I helped to improvise on came from a deep personal pain. Deep inside. Right. I've also flown on airplanes and seen businessmen working on gigantic, <laughs> non-Macintosh laptops, and I know that. And you guys. pity them. You pity them. Yes. No, I'm with... They're, they're my people now. <laughs> You think robots will take over one day? Are they? Oh, you're talking about the singularity. Well, do you tell me. How you, dare you? Do you, do you think, that back do, on do, me? Do you think... <laughs> well, as you know, I I am mainly aware of popular culture interpretation of advanced technology, mm -hmm. and all I know is that futurist slash transhumanist slash keyboard inventor Ray Kurzweil is taking a thousand vitamins an hour in order to stay alive until the singularity can happen. And the singularity is, I believe, when artificial intelligence becomes self-aware enough to be self-replicating. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And at that point, I think robots take over. And we become their slaves. We become their slaves, or we're able to transfer our consciousness into a robot body. Leaving us unnecessary, as was the plot of The Terminator. Yes, exactly so. Skynet right. goes online right, right. as soon as Ray Kurzweil goes full cyborg. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. So what was your question? Uh, Are no, robots so, going to take over? Yeah, so do, you, do you believe that that is the future? I think that it's probably more likely that robots will take over than mm -hmm. aliens invade. Okay, so then that's only because aliens aren't going to bother to get here, and the robots have an investment. So when the robots take over, then the aliens might come and meet the robots and think that's the sort of the, the organism of the Earth. Look, we're all going to be in a lobster pot by then. So. <laughs> sure, maybe. There's that episode of The Twilight Zone where it's a cookbook. Oh, yeah, yeah, to serve man. To serve man. Exactly yeah, so. Yeah, the aliens came and fattened us up and gave us new growing me methods, and the wheat harvest was as big as ever, and everybody's happy and fat, and they didn't have to work anymore, and they shipped them off to get eaten. Soon, you know what psychologists know? That what scares a child the most is not dying. Robots. No, no. <laughs> it's not simply the act of dying or getting shot. It's getting eaten. That's why they fear oh. big monsters, because a monster will eat them. They don't fear guns. They don't fear traps. They fear things that will eat them. Usually when you're eaten, you die also. So no, yeah, that's true. That's true. But, but, but it it's is the, that particular method. The method of death. Do you think that it is a child perceiving that its existence is limited that is so scary, or the feeling that it is going to be chewed up and swallowed? I'd have to go with the chewed up and swallowed. <laughs> that, is, that is the hallmark of being eaten. And so what I wonder is if, as adults... We capture some of that fear with aliens. Five minutes, you're telling me how much they're going to put us in their lobster pot because we'll then get eaten. You didn't say those, they'll oh. vaporize us with their ray gun. So I maybe guess. you're still a kid and you think that the biggest fear is that we're going to be right. eaten by aliens. Of course. We're a childlike race. We're largely irrational. There are very few of us who are even stopped to contemplate our mortality. And then those of us who do think we're going to go to a special place afterwards. So therefore, we don't need to worry about what we do on this planet. That sums up the world. You have to agree with me on this, right? Yeah. If they ever do find us, they are so technologically advanced. We are worms beneath their feet. Unless they are extremely politically correct, they are going to. But why would they come here? We've used up all of our resources. <laughs> We're not very smart. Maybe Good. for comedy. Maybe then they don't have comedy. That's the answer. No resources, what good are we to anybody else? Let me tell you. Not even ourselves. Let me tell you how we're going to handle. First step to handling alien invasion, uh -huh. recall all the probes. <laughs> or you know what? At least stop putting plaques on them with Blacks. naked men and women. Because that's going to make us look like we're walking around naked all the time, waving hi to everybody. Do you know what I'm talking about? The you, plaques are I know the, the plaque, that's an invitation to disaster. For some listeners, the plaque is, he's referring to the plaque on the Voyager and on the Pioneer space probes that escaped the solar system. And it's got an illustration of a naked man and woman on it. We need to stop sending pornography out into the universe. What are they going to think of us? 
In this next clip, we have our very close friend of the show, Phil Plate. His handle is The Bad Astronomer. He joins us for a conversation on our time travel show. And you know, the topic today is time travel. I'm loving it. Not only the science of time travel, but we'll also get into all the best movies that ever portrayed it. And because our man here, Phil Plate, the bad astronomer, spends his part of his life assessing how well movies capture science. Oh, I know. I follow him on Twitter. I'm up on it. The bad astronomer. <laughs> That's where you'll get it. It's a well-spent life watching movies and critiquing the science, <laughs> let me tell you. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Well, let's get the science out of the way. Phil, right. you're a trained astrophysicist. So I got you on the show not only because you review movies, but because you know some science. So let's... Let's just talk about time travel in the world of science. So what can you bring to the table? Well, it depends on what you mean by time travel. I mean, traveling into the future What is, do you mean it depends on what you mean? Well, what, what, okay. what, which word did you not understand in that sentence? <laughs> well, there's a positive and negative, right? We all travel in time. We're going forward, you know, a minute every 60 seconds. So we're going into the future, like it or not. You're going to see it. Um, but you but we're travel. trapped in the present as we move to the future. Yeah, but when you said that, it was the present, but now it's the past. Ooh, spooky. Okay, um, you guys really shouldn't do Hallmark cards. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> so, well, but we're traveling into the future, and if you, if you wanted to see what it's going to be like 100 years from now, there are ways to do that. And if you want to see what things were like 100 years in the past... There are kind of ways to do that, but if you want to see what the Earth was like 100 years ago, we can talk about that, too. So let's do it. All right. Well, traveling into the future, if you want to see the distant future, there are ways to do it. Suspended animation, for example, would work if, if there were some feasible way of doing it biologically. So we, we just slow down, do we'll slow down your bio functions Somehow. so that you basically age more slowly. Right. This is, this is a, a common way in sci-fi movies of decades ago where they go on long trips, and they right. would put you in some kind of suspended animation. Right. It takes, you know, 100 years to get from here to there, so you freeze the, the people, and, and they can wake up when they get to their destination. We don't know how to do that. You freeze somebody, they're, they're frozen. I'm that's, told Walt Disney bad. knows how to do it. Right? Yeah, if we, we, I suppose we could send his head to Alpha Centauri and see what happens. Uh, bad freezer burn, fellas. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, you've got something on your nose. Oh, sorry, frostbite over your entire brain. All right. Um, but that, that is, you know, possibly one way. Another way would be to travel very quickly. And according to Einstein's, Good old uh, Albert. you know, yeah, relativity, uh, it's somebody who's moving very rapidly relative to someone on Earth would age more slowly. And so if you were to get in a spaceship and move very close to the speed of light, you could literally travel across the galaxy. And somebody on Earth would experience 100,000 years elapsing while you might only exper experience a few months elapsing. And that is time travel into the future because if you went to the star... You poked around, planted your flag, turned around, came back. 200,000 years would have elapsed on Earth, and, and you would have only experienced a short... A couple of months you know, for fraction you. of that. Uh, the but problem by then, everyone is, would have forgotten about you. By it, well, it, yeah. well, basically, everybody's dead. So, yeah. yeah if that, so, no for, child support. <laughs> ooh, yeah. Um, and, yeah, no taxes. Hey, there may be some advantages to this. Uh, but the problem with that is we have no clue how to go that fast. No, I bet everyone who wants to travel to the future wants to be able to come back to the present. Yeah. That's my and sense so, of it. So, really, yeah, the honest definition of time travel is being able to travel backwards in time. And, you know, I'm or not, Or just treat the timeline as a, as an accessible like dimension, a like a road. Yeah, you can get off and get back on yeah. some other place or go back to where you were as many times as you want. Right. Cloverleaf. Okay. A, a chronic, a, a chronological cloverleaf. Mm -hmm. um, write that down. I'm going to patent that and make that into a URL. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. Traveling backwards in time. You know, the, the thing is, if you go back in time, the, 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 the usual paradox is I make a time machine, I go back in time, I kill my grandfather before he meets my grandmother, and I'm never born. And I, you know, I always and wonder if you're about never that. born, you couldn't have gone back in time to prevent them from meeting exactly. each other. Exactly. It's a paradox. Yes. So it, it's impossible to happen. I always wonder about that. Why do they always say grandfather? Why don't I just go back in time and kill my father? Mm -hmm. I, I, I liked my father. I wouldn't have any desire to do this. But That's why they don't portray that in film. Uh, yeah, maybe. Because it's a little more diabolical yeah. to kill your parents than... Um, Oedipus time Rex. I plus, don't know. Plus, plus, why even kill them? All you have to do is prevent them from meeting. That's right. That's all. If, you, if they don't meet at the put enchantment on, under the sea prom uh, dance, right, then they'll never put meet. Put them on different trains, and then they don't meet. Exactly. And so... Uh, Give there one are, of them bad breath before uh, they encounter, you know? <laughs> and and there, there are other paradoxes involved. That's, that's sort of the canonical one, the one that everybody always brings 
things up. Um, but there are there are other ones. I mean, what happens to the atoms that you're made of in the future, and you bring them back into the past? They're the same atoms that are existing in two different places at the same time. And that doesn't oh, because sense. presumably your present still exists in the present. Yes. So it, if if everybody ooh. in the future yeah, went back in time, suddenly there's more people. There's more mass in the universe than there was at and that it, time. Yeah, at that time. And so that can't maybe average over However, the age of the universe. You know, it's, it's been said that in the future they have actually invented a time machine, and the most curious historical event that has piqued people's interest is the sinking of the Titanic. Yes. So they all went back to the Titanic to see it sink, and that's why it sank, because everybody... This was, <laughs> my, the this was my idea for a short story, in fact. The reason the Titanic sank is because nobody knew how to steer the ship because they were all time travelers from the future. <laughs> we'll be right back with more of the Time Capsule Show. Remember, if you'd like to hear any of these shows in its entirety, you can visit our archive page on startalkradio.net. We'll be right back. Don't move. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Hey, remember when we did that show about the science of the golf swing? Well, let's take that to the next level. And that's because PXG has developed the Black Ops driver so golfers don't have to sacrifice distance for forgiveness. And the science proves it. PXG Black Ops driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering, unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Ops drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. Now that's ridiculously high. The higher the MOI, the more forgiving the club will play. So you don't have to square the ball perfectly for it to go straight and get distance. Add PXG's new advanced material face technology and you get incredible ball speed that pushes the distance to the absolute limits. More forgiveness, more distance, no sacrifices. PXG Black Ops Driver. Hit your tee shot straighter and farther. The proof is in the science. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment. Go to pxg.com slash startalk and use code startalk at checkout. That's pxg.com slash startalk. Use code startalk for free shipping on all equipment. pxg.com slash startalk. Code startalk. Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. You're listening to our special time capsule show, highlighting the greatest hits from our past season on Star Talk Radio. Let's keep the focus on movies as we visit our time travel show. 
Once again, our friend Phil Plate, the bad astronomer, helps us explore that subject. So, what do you think of Planet of the Apes? I love that movie, the original with Charlton Heston. Yeah, and they and had Ronnie the, McDowell. They had people suspend in suspended animation, as we discussed in the first segment, right? Because they didn't know how long you don't want to use up your resources, and so so, and then some of them died, I think. When they landed, is that right? Um, there was there was a woman on board who dies in suspended animation. One of their one of his fellow uh, fellow astronauts gets shot, and then another one gets shot and stuffed and put into a museum. I remember that, and you see the Yikes. cotton in his eyes. Yeah, oh, yeah, that was so grim. Well, that's what they because they're the damn dirty apes. Yeah. So tell me about the time travel in that. Was it? it Comment on its accuracy. What do you think? It was fine. They're they're traveling uh, to a different star, so they're moving very rapidly. So they must have gone in some loop because they landed back on Earth but didn't know it. Uh, yeah, that's so not another planet. Let's circle. make this let's circle, make this clear. Yeah. This is not some parallel planet that had a different evolutionary track. This is Earth that he comes back to in the future. Right. And what humans evolved back into apes is that. Well, yeah. I, Leanne, is, does your data support this that humans are evolving back to apes? Uh, I'm Back actually, to hairy apes. I'm actually not convinced of what you just said. How do we know it's not an alternate uh, developmental track? How do we know that? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, in Phil, the movie, there, yeah. There are some. Yeah. There are some Mr. lines movie in the movie, so we know it's the Earth in the end because he's at the Statue of Liberty, and and so there's some other things that indicate it's Earth. Um, there's some there's some gotcha lines in it when they're they're on a raft and they're going down the river and they're trying to figure out where they are. One of them looks up at the at the sun in the sky and says, "It's a little too yellow. Do you think it's Bellatrix, which is a real star in Orion?" And and they're sort of misleading you, making you think they're on a different planet. Uh, and in the sequels, in Beneath the Planet of the Apes and Battle of the Planet of the Apes and uh, Apes and the Apes of the Planet, I don't even. There was like five sequels. Uh, they actually establish how uh, there's a, the, the, one of the apes comes back in time, and that's where you have to assume there's time travel. The ape goes back in time and becomes the first ape that can talk and then leads the revolution, which becomes the planet of the apes. Oh, so yeah. what you're saying is that the entire premise of that movie required backwards time travel. I don't think in the first movie it does. That they that thought that through. I, I don't think so. And in the original book, uh, it, it's actually... Well, you um, read the books, too. Yeah, it's I'm actually it's actually a decent He's book. A um, it really, yes, I still read. Um, mm -hmm. But then this was like 20 years ago when I still read. Now yeah. I prefer to just you know sleep. But uh, <laughs> I, I believe uh, they go to another planet, and it's a parallel evolution, and they come back to Earth. And the big twist is apes have taken over during the time they were gone. Right, right. Uh, maybe not as much impactful as, you know, pounding the sand and, and screaming at the Statue of Liberty. But uh, still, it's a decent book. Okay. And so, uh, now how about Grand Groundhog Day? That's a fun <laughs> one. That's, that's the time travel I think we all wish we could be part of. Because you get to slightly <laughs> change what happens. Speak for yourself. To ch <laughs> you get Man. to change the past. He wakes up every morning, relives the day, but he has a memory of... What happened the last time? What do you think of that? It's an interesting premise. It's never really explained. Mm -hmm. uh, it's clearly not the groundhog itself because he kills the groundhog. Uh, in, in a what he steals a truck and dives over a, the edge of a quarry and he still wakes up uh, listening to Sonny and Cher. And you know, if you want to wake up, to, you I've remember got this you, much babe. about the movie. Oh this yeah, is, this yeah, is it's, scary. It's a good Phil. flick, Phil. This is um, scary. Well, you know, it's it's his name is Phil in the movie, <laughs> uh, and so. The groundhog, like the groundhog or him? Yeah. Both. It was kind of a cool idea, and you don't really ever find out how long he was in there, but he was in there long enough to be able to become a, you know, an incredible piano player at the end of the, end of the movie. And I think there was an interview. Was it, Rob, was it Robert Zemeckis or John Landis? Who directed this movie? Well, whoever. There was an interview with him saying he was actually trapped in there for years, maybe even hundreds of years. Long mm. enough to be able to acquire that expertise. Yeah. Okay. And, and to me, that would be the ultimate torture, to be able to, to, to be trapped in, a, in one place like that and have to live that over and over again it made me crazy how about superman uh, the original superman the movie okay the one where you will believe man can fly yeah christopher reeve is i okay i love this movie i 1970 whatever it's still one of john williams best yeah. soundtracks i just think it's the it's one of the best superhero movies it, it takes it, it it just takes itself exactly the right amount of seriously wait superman 2 was a little better but we're sp referring specifically to the time, the time travel the time reversal i just want to get that out there that okay. i like this movie um he, he flies around the Earth, and somehow backwards. the Earth spins the other way. He flies around the Earth backwards from the rotation. And I think there was a little bit of confusion there. I think that he was supposed to be traveling so close to the speed of light that he was reversing time. Mm -hmm. But it looks like he's flying around the Earth so quickly that the Earth somehow 
gets dragged backwards and spins backwards as if you just spinning the earth backwards would spin backwards time. Leaving everyone to think, that, yeah, if, that if you just turn the earth backwards, that time would reverse. Yeah. And well, why doesn't yeah. he reverse time a couple of days so he has more time to fix things? And right. let me tell you something. The whole reason this thing happens is because Lex Luthor is shooting two missiles in opposite directions. Right. And he promises Miss Tessmacher, and yes, believe me, I know this movie, that he's going to stop the missile heading towards New Jersey. Hackensack, New Jersey. Because where her mother lives. That's exactly right. And so he has to stop that one. He can't stop the one that hits the San Andreas Fault. That's why Lois Lane gets killed, and he has to make the Earth go backwards. He can't catch up to a missile, but he can fly around the Earth fast enough to make it spin backwards. Hello? Yeah, that's crazy. Hello. That's crazy. Plus, Still at the time, the I had a girlfriend, and we saw the movie together, and yeah. he starts flying backwards and reverses time, and she turns to me and says, can he really do that? Mm-hmm. And I said, why didn't you ask me earlier whether a man in blue pantyhose can fly? <laughs> right. <laughs> why is this the first issue <laughs> that you have with the physics of the film? People have different thresholds. <laughs> and, and if you ever watch a Big Bang Theory on TV, in the first episode, they go through this. I did they, not see the first episode. It, I have to go back to my the archives. They're talking to somebody about this and saying, you know, can Superman fly or does he just jump? Mm. And 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 it, 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 there's this whole thing about she says, oh well, people can't really fly, and he, and and one of the nerds actually says, oh no, let's assume that. It's like <laughs> the first thing that a science nerd would actually say, no, blah, blah, blah. and so they actually they just sweep right past that. I love that scene; it's very funny. Do you want to join us for Thai food in a Superman movie marathon? A marathon? Wow, how many Superman movies are there? You're kidding, right? <laughs> You know, I do like the one where Lois Lane falls from the helicopter and Superman swooshes down and catches her. Which one was that? One. <laughs> you realize that scene was rife with scientific inaccuracy. Yes, I know. Men can't fly. No, no. Let's assume that they can. <laughs> Lois Lane is falling, accelerating at an initial rate of 32 feet per second per second. Superman swoops down to save her by reaching out two arms of steel. Miss Lane, who is now traveling at approximately 120 miles an hour, hits them and is immediately sliced into three equal pieces. <laughs> Unless Superman matches her speed and decelerates. In what space, sir? In what space? She's two feet above the ground. Frankly, if he really loved her, he'd let her hit the pavement. It'd be a more merciful death. Excuse me. Your entire argument is predicated on the assumption that Superman's flight is a feat of strength. Are you listening to yourself? It is well established that Superman's flight is a feat of strength. It is an extension of his ability to leap tall buildings, an ability he derives from exposure to Earth's yellow sun. And you don't have a problem with that? How does he fly at night? Uh, A combination of the moon's solar reflection and the energy storage capacity of Kryptonian skin cells. (laughs) I'm just going to go wash up. I have 2,600 comic books in there. I challenge you to find a single reference to Kryptonian skin cells. Challenge accepted. We're locked out. Also, the pretty girl left. On Star Talk Radio, we've been fortunate enough to have time to sit down with some major celebrities. Here's a clip with musician Moby as he joins us to talk about music and the science behind it. Music is so ubiquitous, you know, it's such a normal part of our lives, but it can do so much. They play it at funerals, they play it at weddings. People play music to have sex, they play music to cry. People play music when you're trying to get armies to march into war. And what's amazing about music to me, it doesn't exist. All it is is air moving a little bit differently. But somehow moving air a little bit differently can make someone weep, can make someone jump up and down, can make someone move across the country and cut their hair. So what you mean there, of course, is that there's not a thing that you look at and say, that's music. Yeah. It's a construct of our brain responding to moving air. Yeah, that's all it is. I mean, most art forms, you can put your hand on them. You can touch a sculpture. Music, by definition, doesn't exist, and it never can exist. Like the moment that air hits your eardrum, it's done. It's gone. For that microsecond, it affects you emotionally, and the music is gone. Because we think music exists because you're like, oh, what about CDs and vinyls? Like, those are just delivery vehicles, convenient ways of recording and storing electronic impulses that will move air a little differently. So you say that music doesn't exist physically, mm-hmm. yet has the greatest power over our emotions than anything anyone has ever devised. That's scary. That's why. A I'm, scary, beautiful. That's why I'm a musician. When I hear your music, I'm thinking he might be able to compose the epic musical track for my nine-month journey to Mars. Now, if NASA said, we're looking for that person, are you going to run to the front of that line? Oh, yeah. I'm a space nerd. So, basically, if NASA came to me and asked me to do anything, (laughs) if they asked me to, like... To mop the latrines? Yeah, mop the latrine, make coffee somewhere, I'd, I'd be happy to do that. But if they wanted me to write music for 
space flight. Of course, I would like nothing more than to do that. But it does raise a bigger, nerdier question that very few people apart from me might be interested in, which is, as we go into space, do we have to carry our physical bodies around? And that's, I think, a debate within NASA as well. Like, a Mars mission, do humans have to go to Mars? Or can we send representatives to Mars? I just think there's the bigger question of what it means to be human, which I know sounds vague, but basically we're defined by our cognition. All of our things, our skin, our eyes, our nose, our senses, are what informs our cognition. And through technology, we have the capacity to build other things that will also inform our cognition. So that's the question. It's like, do we need to send our biological bodies into space to inform our cognition? Or can our cognition be informed technologically? And our sensory experiences are really limited. They're amazing, but our visual spectrum is pretty limited yeah, compared to what's out there. We're practically blind. Yeah, and even our sense of hearing is also quite limited. So that's like, why we bring dogs to hear things, yeah. right? And smell, right. So that's the other question. is like, can we go into space in a modified or augmented form that will actually like improve the experience that you're talking about? Thanks for listening to our Time Capsule show. We'll be back with more of our favorite clips. If you want to stay up to date with all of the latest Star Talk Radio news, visit our website at StarTalkRadio.net or follow us on Twitter or like us on Facebook. We'll be back with more Star Talk Radio. Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. You're listening to our special time capsule show, highlighting some of our most recent shows. Actress Nichelle Nichols, better known to Trekkies as Lieutenant Uhura, also sat down with us on Star Talk Radio. And we talked about everything from Star Trek to the Civil Rights Movement. In this next part of the interview, Nichelle Nichols reveals exactly what Martin Luther King Jr. told her about the importance of Star Trek to society. Let's see what she had to say. He said, you have one of the most important roles. This is a first. It's non-stereotypical. It's brilliant. It's beauty and it's intelligence. And you do it with warmth and grace. And I'm just standing there watching him, listening to him. I'm thinking the only visions I've seen of this man really are nightly in the news with marching and black people in the south marching and demanding their rights to sit at a lunch counter lunch counter and coming out being hurt hurt out and having hoses water fire hoses, hoses, fire hoses. Mm-hmm. turned on them dogs attack dogs turn up men women and children and this man leading them and marching and the face of all of this being arrested Every night I ever saw him, I said, they're going to kill him. And it won't happen past this time. But it did. And so he became this power of hope. And here I am playing this character that I'm going to give up. And I said to him, Dr. King, thank you so much. I'm going to miss my co-stars. And before I could say because, he said, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? <laughs> and... I said that I just told Gene that I'm leaving the show after the first season because I've received, and he said, you cannot. I felt like that little boy who later said, what you talking about, Will? Because I felt like saying, what you talking about, Dr. Martin Luther King? But my mouth just dropped. And he said, you cannot leave. Do you understand? It has been heavenly ordained. This is God's gift. And onus for you. You have changed the face of television forever because this is not a black role. It is not a female role. Anyone can fill that role. It's a role with power and dignity. He said it can be filled by a woman of any color, a man of any any color. It can be filled by another Klingon or some alien. An alien. He said, this is a unique 
role and a unique point in time that breathes the life of what we are marching for, equality. He says, beside your chief communications officer, your fourth in command. I'm thinking nobody told me that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he's paying attention to these episodes. He knows Star Trek is built on the uh, Air Force. Mm -hmm. On the the rankings, yes. Rankings. So he knew Mm -hmm. the rank. And he said, you have no idea the esteem that we hold for you. And I'd start shivering. And I'm just looking at him, and my mouth was quivering. And he said, beside Michelle, you have no idea the power of television. This man has shown us in the 23rd century. This man, Gene Roddenberry. started now. This man who's created this. This man has created a reality. And because it's in the 23rd century and you are chief communications officer, fourth in command of a starship on going on a five-year mission where no man or woman has gone before, it means that what we are doing today is just the beginning of where we're going, just how far we're we going. We have to make sure that that's enabled. You cannot leave. Besides, and then he smiles again, Star Trek is the only show that my wife Coretta and I allow our little children to stay up late and watch. And Michelle, I can't go back and tell them this because you are their hero. So overnight, your life became bigger than yourself. Exactly. Your role became bigger than you. I couldn't think of anything for the rest of the weekend. I was just shivering. Sometimes I was furious. Sometimes I was crying. Sometimes I just sat numb and thought about it. And I went to Gene Roddenberry on wobbly legs, and and I walked into his office, and he was behind that same desk. And Gene was a six-foot-three, muscular, hatchet-faced man with a wicked sense of humor and a brilliant mind. And he sat there, and he looked at me, and I said, Gene, if you still want me to stay... I'll stay, and I told him the story, what had happened to me with Dr. Martin Luther King. He just looked up at me and didn't say anything for a long time, and he opened his desk drawer and took out my letter of resignation and handed it to me, and I looked at him, at this man, and a tear is rolling down his face, and he said, God bless Dr. Martin Luther King. Someone knows what I'm trying. Someone realizes what I'm trying to achieve. I'm getting misty-eyed just listening and, to your story. Oh, I mean, just... I can hardly ever tell it. And he handed me my letter of resignation, which had been torn up into a million pieces from the day from the <laughs> moment I had handed it to him. He wasn't going to accept it anyway. And, and I said, Gene, do you, do you know Dr. King? And he <laughs> says, I've never met him, but I bless him. In this part of our Time Capsule show, we'll replay highlights from our conversation with Whoopi Goldberg. She shares some of her thoughts on science, celebrity, and her role in science fiction. My friend LeVar Burton came to see me one day. We were sitting So he's, he was said, already so, a cast yeah. member. Yeah. I said, well, so what are you doing, LeVar? Jordy. Was he Jordy, right? Jordy. Yeah. Uh-huh. He said, oh, I'm doing the new Star Trek. I said, the what? Because, <laughs> you know, Star Trek had like, been dead for 20 years. Yeah. And he said, the new Star Trek. I said, dude, you have to tell them I want to be on it. Why? Because of Lieutenant Uhura. Uhura. Now, when you watch Star Trek, the original, the, the original what most people don't know, because they're not kind of geeky like I am, is that before Uhura, there are no black people in the future in any sci-fi. At all. At all. I heard a comedian, if not you, I'm forgive me for not remembering mm. who said this, they were worried about the future <laughs> because nobody included us in that. Before Lieutenant Uhura, that's absolutely true. And it's hard to put your brain back in that mind state at the time because you just look at it, oh, it's just yeah. a good actress doing her thing. And now you look at it and you say, well, of course there are yeah. black people in the future, but when, what is 62 that this? 62, no, it's 66. 66. Yeah. Think of all of the science fiction movies that predate Star Trek. Oh, tons. They're tons, especially the era of the 50s. They're not one black person anywhere. So you saw that and you... Well, I saw, as a kid, I saw Lieutenant Uhura. I just assumed I was going to be in the future. Okay. (laughs) It wasn't until I got older 
that I recognized that before Star Trek, there was none. So I wanted to be part of that legacy. It had been in you for that long. Oh, yeah. And when there's no show, so there's no happy. reason to keep thinking about it. Someone yeah. says the show's reborn. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. They had the same doubts. <laughs> so for a year, I didn't hear from anybody because he told them. They and can't have taken you seriously. No, they, they didn't. thought you were just, mess you just messing with them. They around. And right. so I saw him like a year later and said, you know, they never called. He said, they didn't believe me. I said, call the office right now. Plus, who walks off the Academy Award stage and said, put me in a TV show? Well, you know, everybody started on TV. You know, you look yeah. at Robert Redford. You look at a lot of those actors. They started on Twilight Zone. Yeah, the, yeah, with good the, roles, good, well-written fantastic roles. Fantastic roles. Mm -hmm. So television has always been a great place to be. But I was always a character actor. I wasn't thinking of myself as a star because as a character actor, I could do anything. Right. You know, as a star, you're limited. Yeah, right, because there's only one star, but there's a hundred different characters doing yes, their thing. That's right. Yeah. There's lots to be done. So I made an appointment with Gene Rodden. Barry. He said, why do you want to be on the show? And I explained to him just as I explained to you. About a week and a half, two weeks later, I get a call and says, well, Gene has written you a part. And the character's name is Guinan, after Texas Guinan, who always greeted her patrons with the words, hello, suckers. <laughs> you know, okay. she was okay. a, a great bar owner. I think the early part of the 1900s. Bartenders are Generally, they hear everyone's stories, so they have a certain wisdom. And I think if I remember your part, this is what you yeah. were. You were and, well, she was very old. Very old. Mm -hmm. we're, not, <laughs> we're not really sure what her origins are, except that she and Q have a very rough relationship. And okay. Q is one of those, you know, omnipresent god figures. And so one thinks that I could have smote him if I wanted to. <laughs> I love that word. I, no one uses it. I know. You never hear of being good like, one-syllable words. Smote him. Are hard to come by. You know. Yeah. I will smote you. <laughs> yeah, I think you know. I think smiting is a lost art. <laughs> but you know, folks are living this living it. lifestyle, and it's it's the fact that they were living it is what created the buoyancy yes. to, to have the resurrected shows to begin yes. with. Well, because people love the idea of a society of people from different races and different styles and different... I'm glad, but I can say it's not everybody loves that idea. Not in today's well, world. you yeah. know, well, people will get over it. Well, they have to because <laughs> it's not like any of the races are disappearing. Right, right, right. We're all here and everybody's getting so more here. mixed. And yeah, getting more and, mixed. and yeah. pretty much you can hardly tell who's who. <laughs> In the original Star Trek, yeah. the stories were about us. Yes. It wasn't about aliens. No, but see, people often don't recognize themselves. And the only way to get people to recognize themselves is to make them alien. So you have people who are blue, you have people who are silver. As it turns out, people are much more comfortable with blue and silver people <laughs> than they ever are with black people, which I find <laughs> extraordinary. But that's just me. <laughs> More of our Time Capsule show is coming up after the break. You can hear all of our latest shows by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. While there, leave a comment and tell us what you think about the show. Our final segment of Star Talk Radio, after the break. True or false? Walmart has eye care. True. Stop by Walmart to save and browse top designer frames right where you already shop. And they accept most insurance. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley. 
for the love of home. Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. For the last hour, you've been listening to our time capsule. It's highlights of our favorite shows from Star Talk Radio over the past season. Now let's revisit more of our conversation with Whoopi Goldberg. I love science fiction because, to me, it's the predictions of the future. Yeah. I always worry because I love the movie Soylent Green. Oh. That's the one where we, it's people? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes, okay. yes. Spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. And uh, Edward G. Robinson. Yeah. I just love it. It's but but one of my so favorites. many of those futures were mm-hmm. apocalyptic. They were not utopian. Soylent no. Green, they were like melting down people and making yes. green patties out of it to feed yes. other people. Yeah. That's creepy. It is creepy, but stranger things have happened. And <laughs> science fiction movies have sort of told it's, us what's going on. That's, that's what it's know. about. It's yeah. about going to yeah. maybe if they make it creepy enough, you're alerted to avoid it. If that's what Well, you would think so, but <laughs> it doesn't always happen. I mean, look at computers. You look at the computers in 19... 19- 30s sci-fi or 20s sci-fi, you know, and you think, oh, really? That's never going to happen. You'd watch the movie, and then next thing you know, you're walking around with an iPad. Right, right. They would have resurrected the witch-burning laws if that came out even 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Think about it. Well, they tried to mess them up, you know, because now everybody's trying to catch up. Right. The curse that everybody says, may you live in interesting times. You know, that's an old, supposedly an old Chinese curse. But the truth of the matter is, we do live in interesting times, and interesting times have happened all the time. Right. We live in an era of interesting times. Yes. That's what it is. Yes. And an accelerated era, because I think we're seeing in children and also in adults an acceleration of evolution, because little kids are born now, it seems, with an ability to connect to the computer. Yeah, yeah. They know things. To me, it is a prelude to our lives. A, a window to what, yes, what can be. what can be. And no longer do people go, oh, come on, that's never going to happen. Right, they don't say that no, anymore. No, because we know, we know it, it is all possible. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Because in the pre-moon launch era, mm-hmm. people said, oh, the moon will never... Once we started going to the moon, everything right. became possible yes. in our minds. Yes, <laughs> I'm still waiting for my jetpack, so, man... <laughs> in the, fl- in the flying car. Yeah. Well, no, the flying car I didn't like. You didn't like that, why not? I liked... Because well, I wanted the control aware of all that. I wanted to just be me moving through space and landing somewhere. I want the jetpack. You want the jetpack. Yes, pack. but I don't want it to be fueled by hydrogen. <laughs> Now you're getting picky. Come on. Well, I, I feel that, you know, there there should be some new discovery. <laughs> some new source of energy. Some source of energy. So you don't that, have to slap a nuclear yeah, device on your because back. Because what no. happens if you, you know, have a rough landing? <laughs> Kaboom, there you're gone. There are few people in this world who need no introduction. Morgan Freeman is one of them. In this clip, we discuss his role in helping bring attention to science through his celebrity. Mm-hmm. So let's get back to this bit about aliens and what kind of t- intelligence they would have. One of my great concerns is we always think that they're the same, in- approximately the same intelligence as we are, intelligence as we are, so that we can have a conversation. Is there any species less intelligent than we that we can have a conversation with? I don't think so. I believe you two have been doing that all show. <laughs> Uh, Morgan, I mean, a philosophical. Philosophical, yeah, yeah, or, yeah, exactly. Not just here's food, eat it. Um, Are you worried when the aliens come that they might enslave us? No, I'm not worried about it at all. Why? Uh, Because. Hawking's worried about it. Well, Hawking's in a chair. Okay, I don't know what I'm supposed to make of that. (laughs) Oh, he can't run? He can't turn around and run? Is that what you're. Can't shoot a gun. (laughs) Okay. You know All right, now, you know what? I did like you, Morgan Freeman, <laughs> until that comment right there, because I didn't think of it, and that was the funniest thing said on show. <laughs> well, I, I, that's, I, don't, I don't think, personally, yeah. that we need fear the universe. Right. Or we, I, you know, I, yea, though I walk through the valley... I feel no evil, but okay. I'm the baddest thing in this world. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> that should be fair in me. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so when the aliens come, we will put you forward. Well, you know, listen, we don't go out there with, you know, the, the yo. He's, he's doing, let the record like show. He, we will he's know. doing the Vulcan sign, yeah. live long mm-hmm. and prosper. How do you know that's not go, you know, F off? 
Well, because to an alien, as long as you got an open hand, I think it's universal that uh, yo, I'm, you know, I don't mean you any harm. I just want to clear out the alien part of our discussion before the break. Just to just to uh, the aliens, if they come and you're going to like say hi to them, and you think they're going to be nice. No, I don't know what they're going to be, but I don't. I'm not going to imagine that they're going to be uh, hostile. Hmm. Okay. It's just as easy to imagine that they're going to be beneficent, that they're going to be okay. just people out exploring like we would do. Okay, but our first explorers were not beneficent, were they? Huh? They were like totally tearing up the places they. Oh, you mean the explorers oh, here on Earth? On Earth, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. The Polynesians did a lot of explorations. I don't know if they killed everybody they met. That's true. That's true. Well, they have to be just Northern Europeans. That's well, those, those, you know, <laughs> people with hot blood. Hot blood. Yeah. Hot blood. So this segment, I want to talk about the end. Yeah. The end of the universe, the end of life. You know, the universe is just going to expand forever. Says who? Forever. The data say that. That's what I'm saying. The data said that we knew all of the uh, all of the matter. We had already mapped the universe and we knew what all the matter was until the advent of the Hubble telescope. I think, and all of a sudden, oh, wait a minute, we were wrong. You, I think you want to be wishful that the universe goes through cycles. Is that I feel that. I don't want to be wishful, that, but I think that's a, that's a usable it could it, it could have worked. It's just not. All the data don't show that. Because if we expand forever, we continue to get cold. And the temperature of the universe, which is now three degrees Kelvin, will approach zero degrees. And hmm. closer and closer, and all physical processes in the universe will wind down. And as it winds oh, down, now, now, there'll be on. no life, hold no on. stars. Hold on. You're holding forth here with some stuff that doesn't sound right to me. For instance, <laughs> okay. all of these stars, they're burning hot. Yes. I don't care where they go, they're still going to burn hot. No, they run out of fuel, and one day they stop they, burning. No, 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 no. They're being born every day. They're yeah, but, born but, but the, every day. And then they're being born out of gas that is not in the star. And one day you run out of gas. So the last set of stars that made out of the last set of gas, when they burn out, that's all she wrote. And the stars will burn out one by one in the night sky, and what started out as a starry night will become an abyss of darkness. How many years? Have a nice day. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to our Best of Time Capsule show. Hope you've enjoyed this past hour. And if you'd like to hear it again, or listen to any other shows that were featured in the Time Capsule, or any other shows during all of our previous seasons, just visit our website, StarTalkRadio.net. StarTalk Radio is brought to you in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. For me and the entire StarTalk Radio team, we wish you a happy new year and hope you can join us for an exciting 2012. And remember, as always, to keep looking up. True or false? Walmart has eye care. True. Stop by Walmart to save and browse top designer frames right where you already shop. And they accept most insurance. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.